Good morning. My name is Travis. I'm the campus pastor at New Life Church in Wilsonville, and I'm glad to be here with you this morning. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father in heaven, we come to you with confidence, knowing that you are our heavenly Father who uh, listens to our prayers, whose ears are open to us when we come to cry to you. So, Father, this morning we ask, would you remind us of that from your word? Would you give us confidence that we might uh, call to you with boldness, that we might find hope in our times of need? Lord, we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a sentence that gets my heart racing quickly, and probably if you're a parent, uh, that sentence gets your heart racing quickly as well, and it's, Mom! Dad! Come quick! That sentence just gets me going, like no other sentence. Just a couple of short words, Mom, Dad, come quick, but in that tone that just conveys, this is urgent, please come now. And this morning, as we look at Psalm 70, it's that kind of a psalm. It's that urgent kind of a psalm. A a psalm that has a quick punch to it. Only five verses long. But lots of meaning conveyed in those five verses. Lots of impact. Sometimes psalms and prayers don't have to be long and flowery or, or, or ornate. They don't have to have great poetry to them. They just have to have a quick punch, and that's what this one has. And so in Psalm 70, it's titled, To the Choir Master by David, for the memorial offering, or for remembrance. This is a a psalm that is to help people remember. And you know how songs sort of uh, get used and reused, and you hear them in different places, and sometimes things sound familiar because the theme is similar to something else. You'll hear that in classical music sometimes, or you'll hear that uh, in songs that we sing in church. You'll you'll hear uh, Amazing Grace and the way that it's redone by Chris Tomlin for uh, My Chains Are Broken. And and you'll hear that same kind of thing even in in pop culture, pop music, so that you're listening and, and all of a sudden the kids start singing Sound of Silence, and the grandparents are going, hang on, how come the grandkids know Simon and Garfunkel? And the grandkids don't know Simon and Garfunkel. They know Anna Kendrick from Trolls who sang it. And the parents of the kids know the disturbed version, that uh, rock version, that also was a big hit. And so three different generations with three different connections to the same song, the same words. Well, Psalm 70 is that same thing that we have these same words repeated. So if you read through Psalm 70 and you see that, hey, this sounds really familiar, it might sound familiar because the theme and the topic are very similar to the Psalms right around it. It might also sound similar because it's literally a copy of the second half of Psalm 40. So in Psalm 40, you have, uh, it's a, a longer version, and this is a remembering of the ideas of Psalm 40, but with the just the short punch that, that quick impact. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Make haste, O Lord, 
to deliver, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. David is, is just crying out to the Lord in this psalm and saying, God, quick, come quick. Come quick. When you're a parent and you're, you're talking with other parents at the playground, you have this ability that you hear the sounds of the kids playing, and sometimes there gets to be some screeching and squealing, but you know those sounds, and those are just playing sounds. And you hear some fussing and some whining, and you know those sounds, those are just playing sounds. And you know the fussing and complaining because there's some argument going on, but you're not too worried about that. You're not going to be distracted by that right now because you're in the midst of a conversation. But then there are those cries that have a different tone and a different pitch. And as a parent, you can even identify in those kinds of cries and you hear one and go, that's not my kid. And you continue on with your conversation. But when it's your kid, you know. When it's your kid or, or an older sibling coming running up, mom, dad, come quick. You know, there's urgency. I have to respond right now. And this is what David is feeling. He's got these enemies that are, are following him. We don't know the exact context of this. If you know David's life, there are many instances that this psalm could have come from. But he's got some sort of enemy that is attacking him, and he's feeling an urgency. Maybe he's hiding in a cave. Maybe he's hiding on a mountain. Maybe he's out in the wilderness. Maybe he's in Jerusalem. But wherever he is, he's feeling this urgency because of the people who are attacking him, these enemies that are against him. And so he says, make haste, O God, to deliver me. Quickly, Lord, quickly, come quickly. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. We've got these, these three lines here. Let them be put to shame and confusion those who seek my life, those assassins, the ones who are, are looking to kill him. Then let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. They just like to see me hurt. They're the, these thugs that just like to see me hurt and in pain. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. Those who are mocking and laughing. <laughs> I see you. You're so ridiculous. You're so foolish. And I see these three levels, those who want to see him dead, those who want to see him hurt, and those who want to see him shamed. And at all three levels, he's just crying out to God and saying, God, these people, would you turn them around? Would you turn them back? Would you put them to shame? Would you put them to confusion? Would you make them stop? Because God, they're attacking me and I can't take it. When I have people attack me, I tend to get defensive. My guard goes up. I want to retaliate. If it's blows, let's go to blows. If it's words, let's spar. But David just goes straight to the Lord. Lord, I've got a problem. Lord, it's a big one. I need you to answer quickly this time. 
when I get into problems, I find that I react myself according to how big or how small it is. If it's a small slight, I shrug it off. No big deal. If it's a big slight or, or somebody aggressively attacking me, then I square up and let's go. David goes to prayer. Urgent, fervent prayer. Oh God, make haste. Make haste to respond. Make haste to deliver me. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. David says, I've got this problem, and Lord, I need you to respond, and I need you to respond right now. Oh God, come quick. Come quick, God. And I find that my response at temper is too quick, and at prayer is too slow. I think it shows um, my own weakness my own lack of faith, that I so quickly go back to my own strength, my own powers, my own words, my own way of dealing with things, my own justices. I quickly turn to my stuff and react rather than going to prayer. I don't know if you have that issue but let's look and see at how David deals with this. Because sometimes I, when, when I say we need to go to prayer, my thought that's right behind that is, shouldn't we be doing something though? Okay, yeah, prayer is fine, great, yes, church answer, good, blah, 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 prayer, good. Okay, let's move on to the real action part. What are we going to actually do, though? Not just the prayer thing, but what are we going to actually do? How are we actually going to solve this problem? How are we actually going to turn the enemies away? How are we actually going to deal with the challenges that are facing us? How are we actually going to respond to these people who have these accusations? What are we actually going to do? Pray. we're actually going to pray. I pause because I need that pause. That pause that acknowledges that the prayer is the work. That pause that acknowledges that God is the answer. Not just the Sunday school answer. Not just the right answer. But the answer. I have a problem. What is my solution? Prayer. Because the Lord is the answer. I have to pause and stay in that place. 
I have to stay in that place because I, it, I acknowledge to myself then that I really don't think that I'm going to provide the solution. It really isn't going to come from me. It really is going to come from the Lord. And so here David has these assailants. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. I want to shame and confuse them. I want to rebut them. I want to show them why they're wrong. I want to, in public view of everyone, demonstrate exactly how wrong they are so everyone will know that I have triumphed over my enemies. And David says, Lord, would you quickly respond and let them be put to shame and confusion? Not because of me doing it, but these people who are seeking my life, would you confuse them and thwart their plans and stop the whole thing? My response? How do I get safe in this issue, in this circumstance? How do I make myself safe? How do I protect myself? David turns to the Lord. Lord, you're going to have to do it. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor those who delight in my hurt. Lord, turn them around. So many times I find that my reactions toward people exacerbate the situation. That my reaction, instead of being a calm, cool answer that turns away wrath, is a sharp, abrupt answer that ignites a flame. And David says, Lord, would you turn them around? Lord, they're attacking me. Lord, they're rejoicing to see me in pain. Would you turn them around? Now, this is not... Um, not to say that he has no emotion here, that he has no feeling to it, that he's dispassionate about it. You can see in the way the, the punchy verses here and the way that he began, Lord, make haste, make haste, make haste to deliver me, make haste to help me. This is passionate, fervent prayer, but it's prayer, not action, because he recognizes the, that the action has to come from the Lord. Let them be turned back. Let them turn back because of their shame. Those who say, aha, aha. Those who are laughing. Those who are mocking. Those who think that I'm foolish. Demonstrate God. That when I trust in you, there is no foolishness in that. Because you are God. 
He moves on in verse 4. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May everyone who seeks the Lord delight in Him. You'll hear us talk about that a lot at New Life Church. That we want everyone to delight in God. Those who are disconnected from God, we want them to instead delight in Him through Jesus. And this is David's prayer. May all who seek you, Lord, rejoice and be glad in you. God, respond quickly to my needs. Here's some of the things that are going on. Here are some of the people that are against me and the things that they're saying and the things that they're doing. These are the types of people who are against me. And so, God, would you just make it so that everybody who seeks you would rejoice? May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. I, I want for everybody to have that. That everybody would seek the Lord. That everybody would rejoice in Him. That everybody would have their peace in Him. Their delight in Him. Their comfort in Him. Their protection in Him. Their rescuing in Him. Because I know the way that I get worked up about stuff. When I'm trying to be my own Savior. When I'm trying to be my own protector when I'm trying to defend my own honor and my own ways, I know the way that I get worked up about that. I know the anxieties that I feel, the frustrations that I feel, the angers that I feel, when I'm the one that's putting pressure on me to solve my own problems, and I see that in other people too. I see those same angers that I feel. I see those same frustrations that I feel. I see those same anxieties that I feel. The same disappointments when they're not able to do all of the things that they think that they need to do. Those times when I turn to my wife and I go, I just feel like I am failing in every area of my life right now. I just feel like I can't do it. Those times when we look at each other at the end of the day, at the end of the day and we go, we're going to make it, right? We're going to make it through this, right? Because it just seems so big and so overwhelming that I'm just not sure. And David's Prayer is, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. It's that disconnect. The disconnect between what I know the Bible says and who I know God to be and the way that I'm feeling in the moment. It's that disconnect. Where in that moment, I feel disconnected from God because of my anxieties. And I'm feeling disconnected from God because of my frustrations. And I'm feeling disconnected from God because of my anger. Rather than seeking the Lord and rejoicing and being glad in Him. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. 
You see, the advantage is not just that when we go to God with our problems and when we cast our anxieties on Him, that He is strong enough to actually handle it, that He is capable of actually solving these issues, of actually turning our enemies around, of actually bringing their uh, hopes and their purposes to shame. It's not just that, that He is, is capable, but that also, we find our joy then in Him. And we get to glorify Him and praise Him and say, Ha! Huh, isn't God great? Isn't God great? Because when we throw those things on Him and He responds, then we get to praise Him. If the, the challenges come and we face them head on and we try and deal with them ourselves, then we're not going to praise God afterwards for the way that He dealt with it. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. No, this, is, this is just biblical truth right here. That those who seek the Lord will love Him and delight in Him and rejoice in Him. And those who cast their anxieties and prayers on Him will afterward be able to praise Him for how great He is and tell others of how great their God is. And when we don't do that, we don't have the opportunity because we didn't trust him in the moment, we don't have the opportunity to praise him afterwards. And we're stuck in those same feelings of anxiety and frustration and anger. And so David takes this one verse in this psalm to say, God, may everyone who seeks you rejoice in you. And may all those who love your salvation say evermore that God is great. Those who love your salvation, God. Sometimes I just want salvation. I just want to be saved from the pressure. I just want to be saved from this entangled, messy relationship. I just want to be saved from whatever the circumstance is. And I'm not thinking particularly of God's salvation. I'm just thinking of any salvation. But David is saying, may those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. Do you believe that? That God is great? That there is hope in his salvation? That he desires to save you? That he desires to hear about what your pains and anxieties and frustrations and angers are? That he wants to take those and respond like a father who, who hears it on the playground and responds with haste, with, with urgency? Hearing the tone of his children as they cry out. In 2 Chronicles, 
Solomon has built a temple that his father David wanted to see built in Jerusalem. A place where uh, the presence of the Lord could be. And after the building of the temple, there's this uh, commemoration uh, of that, and, and Solomon prays this prayer in Second Chronicles chapter 6. And here's a piece of that. But will God indeed dwell with man on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Yet, have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place, and listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and listen from heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Solomon goes on and on in this prayer, repeatedly saying, God, I know that you are the God who reigns in heaven, and that this small little temple that I have made here is just a representation of your dwelling place. But it is a place where you have said you would put your name and your presence among your people in this place. And so, Lord, because we acknowledge that this place is your place and representative of your presence, as people turn their faces toward this place, as they turn their hope toward you and your presence, and they pray to you, would you incline your eyes and your ears to see them and to hear them and to respond to them? Lord, this is what we want. This is what we want. We have this expectation that has been built through the Old Testament that the presence of God represents His favor and His power. And for God's people, His salvation. And his people were those whom he identified, those who were Israelites, but also those who were foreigners who said, I want to follow that God. I see the way that that God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, I see the way that he takes care of his people. I see the way that he saves them. I see the demonstrations of his power. I see his provisions for them. And I want to follow that God. And so whoever they are as His people who seek His face and pay attention to His presence, calling out for His power, His presence there responds to the cries of His people when they seek Him. So that, as verse 4 of Psalm 70 said, so that those who seek you might rejoice and be glad in you, and that those who love your salvation will say forevermore, God is great. And while that presence of God was represented in the Old Testament, on Mount Zion, in the temple 
at Jerusalem. In the New Testament, we see another son of David, Jesus. Jesus, who himself was the presence of God. Because he was both the Son of Man and the Son of God in one person. And so Jesus is that power and presence of God among his people. that was representative of his power as he walked among people, they would turn to him and they would say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Recognizing that when they called to him, that like in Solomon's prayer, when you called and turned your face toward the temple, God would respond. The expectation was Jesus was representative of the power and the presence of God because it was God himself among them. God Emmanuel. God with us. And so they would cry out to him. And he would respond. And even Jesus himself in John chapter 17 was praying to God the Father on behalf of his disciples. And this is what he says in verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Just as David was crying out to the Lord, saying, make haste, Lord, respond and answer, with the expectation that where God's presence was, His power would be, and God would hear and listen and respond. So Jesus prays on our behalf, saying, God, I know, God the Father, I know that my people are here in the world, and they are not of the world. And because of that, the world will hate them. And I'm not asking right now, Father, that we take them out of the world, but that we leave them in the world and that we protect them. That we keep them there. And that you keep them from the evil one. Any attacks they may endure because of my name, Father, would you protect them?
And so any of those persecutions we may feel, any of those anxieties we may feel, any of those frustrations that we may feel, any of those angers that we may feel, we can cast those at the feet of God in the name of Jesus and say, we have Jesus. Jesus, the descendant of David. Jesus, the Messiah. The chosen one who died on our behalf. The one who now sits at the right hand of God the Father on high to make intercession for us. The one who is a priest for us, petitioning the Lord on our behalf. So that we may have great confidence as we come in to the throne room of the King of the universe. And we may boldly make requests and say, make haste, O Lord. Do you know how awesome of a, of a privilege that is? The king of the universe. The sovereign one over all of creation. Is inviting us to come into his presence. With the urgency of a child on a playground. And say, come quick. Come quick. And he will incline his ears toward us and be quick to respond and to listen so that we might delight in him and find joy in his salvation forevermore. This is why also Paul, when he's praying on behalf of the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's the power that we are praying to. He is the one who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has already spiritually pulled us out of this dark place. He has already rendered powerless all of the assailants who would come against us. And so when we find ourselves um, embroiled in skirmishes, we can recognize that the spiritual reality is that our king has already conquered this entire realm. And so we can come to him and say, God, would you respond quickly so that we may see here the same as what is true in heaven? David, in the psalm, in, in verse 4 of Psalm 70, 
says, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. And this is the confidence that all people have. Then verse five, to conclude this psalm, he turns it back and says, now I am applying that to myself. I recognize that these are spiritual, biblical truths that I am proclaiming. And now I want to apply that to my own life personally because I am poor and needy. Verse 5. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. But I am poor and needy. David. David, the great king. The great king of all of Israel. A great, powerful, rich man coming before the Lord saying, Lord, I am poor and needy. All of David's resources, all of his uh, cunning, all of his political abilities amount to nothing compared to the power and the resources that the Lord has available. And so he comes and he says, Lord, before you I am poor and needy. And I have to recognize that for myself. We have to recognize that for ourselves, that when we come to the Lord, we are poor and needy. And there is no shame in that. There is no shame in being poor and needy. Because we are coming to the one who loves us and who has all resources and loves to lavish them on his children. And so we confidently come and say, okay, I am poor and needy. As 1 Peter chapter 5 says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We humble ourselves. We recognize that we are poor and needy when we come before the Lord because we recognize that when we cast all of our cares and our anxieties on him, he takes them. And we're sober-minded in this. We're, we're being wise in this because we know that there are adversaries at times physical and certainly spiritual, who are roaring around looking for ways to devour us. But we have a God of all grace with an eternal glory who will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. So that we, like David, may say, hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh Lord, do not delay. It's a quick psalm 
that reminds us that in any time we can just cry out to the Lord and just say, Lord, come quickly. I find myself, every time I get ready to preach, sitting right there, right before I come up, praying the same prayer and saying, Oh God, help me because I am not up to this task. I cannot do this on my own. I need that same kind of response even when I'm not here. But when things are popping up around me, and my response is quick, tempered, and emotional to be that same thing. God, I need your help in this because I am not up to the task. As we finish, I want to both read and pray through the whole prayer, or at least most of the prayer of Solomon at the dedication of the temple. But I want to think of it rather than in terms of the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem as referring to the presence of Jesus and we all as His people praying to Him. O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David what you have declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it to this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, O God of Israel, keep your, for your servant David what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk in my law as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, let your word be confirmed which you have spoken to your servant David that which you have fulfilled in Jesus. But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house? Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you that your eyes may be open day and night toward this place, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers, offers toward this place. Listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people when they pray toward this place and toward your Son. Listen from heaven, from your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before you, 
Then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, repaying the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. If your people are defeated before the enemy because they've sinned against you, and they turn again and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you, then hear from heaven and forgive the sins of your people and bring them again to the place that you have given them and to their fathers. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. If there is a famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemies besiege them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people, each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow and stretching out his hands toward you, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of the children of mankind, that they may fear you and walk in your ways all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers." Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and he prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people and that they may know that this house has been built and called by your name. If your people go out to battle against their enemies by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray toward this house that you have chosen and the house that has been built for your name, that hear from heaven their, pre, their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. If they sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, and they repent and they plead with you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity to which they were carried captive and pray toward their land which you gave to their fathers and the city that you've chosen and the house that has been built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Hear their prayers and their pleas and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, O oh my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And now arise, O oh Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O oh Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O oh Lord, do not turn away the face, uh, turn the, away the face of your anointed one. 
remember your steadfast love for David, your servant. Father, we we recognize that these things are fulfilled in Jesus. That Jesus, the son of David, has come and has fulfilled this so that your presence is with us eternally. That he has come to this place to bring the salvation that we most desperately need. That now those who believe in him and call on his name are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So that your presence is among your people. That your people now are living stones building up your temple. The place that represents your presence. And so, Father, I pray that as your people turn to you, as they repent of their sin, knowing that we all have sin and need to repent, that you would be faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to pardon our iniquities. And then, Father, that whatever they may pray, whatever they may plea, that you might be quick to hear them. Lord, I pray that by the moving of your Spirit within them, they would be prompted to move to prayer before words or action. That they would be prompted, motivated, desired to lean hard on you and trust in you and you alone. And Father, then I pray, would you respond and would you respond quickly? Would you turn away the enemies who assail them? Would you thwart the plans of the enemy? Would you restore the joy of your people as they seek your salvation? Father, we ask that this might happen so that all who see would know that you are with your people. Your presence and your power are with your people. And we ask for this. Not so that our lives might be easier. Not so that we might be taken out of the world. But so that the world might know that you have sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. And that he now reigns on high over heaven and earth until all of the enemies are made to be a footstool before him. And so, Lord, we ask, would you respond to the prayers of your people so that your glory might be made known? So that over and over and over again, your people might say, how great is our God. The God who reigns from heaven yet listens to my prayer and responds to me. May you be praised for your power, for your grace, for your love for your people today and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.